What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode we have Ariel Kilker and David Nordstrom, and they're the editors of Netflix's Cheer. And if you haven't seen Cheer, you gotta go watch it. It's inspiring and fun and a lot of amazing storytelling in that series. Now, if you like our interviews that we're doing, you can always check out FilmmakerU.com. That's Filmmaker, the letter U.com. That's where we bring together the top people in the industry to host courses where they teach you their tricks, techniques, and ideas behind why they make the decisions that they do in their craft. So, for example, we have one of the editors of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel talking about his approach to editing. We have the colorist for Mad Max talking about how he likes to approach color correction. And we have the sound designer for Martin Scorsese discussing his approach to sound. If you decide you want to buy one of them, you can always get 10% off with the code AOTG. That's AOTG. Now, with all that said, here's my interview with Ariel and David. The two of you actually worked on Last Chance U together, and I'm wondering, there's a lot of parallels in terms of the stories between the two shows. So I'm wondering what you learned on Last Chance U that you brought to the show Cheer. Yeah, well, the short answer is, everything in terms of our approach to the characters and you know the kind of sort of the 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 critical insight into the sport itself and what kind of like the mechanics you know behind behind the scenes of of what makes the sport work the way it does but also at the same time i'd say that we kind of had to unlearn a lot of things it was you know, we, it was invaluable having that experience in Last Chance U, and I'd say like the basic, you know, for lack of a better word, formula in terms of approaching it. Um, it was a starting point, but as we started, we quickly learned that there's a lot of things we had unlearned, a lot of things we couldn't count on or lean on that we could in Last Chance U. And then, you know, principally, that's the structure of, of, of the individual episodes, which Last Chance U, you always had the kind of built-in stakes of a game at the end of each episode that they were working towards. And also you had sort of the currency of a popular sport like football, which, you know, even people who are just sort of casual observers understand, at least in America, understand the the basics of a sport in a way that just didn't apply to cheerleading, which we realized early on, it's like, okay, we kind of have to explain cheerleading in a way that's not totally oppressive and totally didactic Um, (laughs) and we also have to figure out how we structure individual episodes because there's not some competitive conflict at the end of it i'd add that we uh we actually found that it was a much more challenging show to edit than last chance you a lot of those reasons that dave just explained and you know we definitely like had to figure out what an episode was which you know for football it was kind of designed for us with a football game at the end of every episode. And then, of course, we had to basically teach an audience what they needed to know about cheerleading, like the bare minimum so that it's not boring, but just enough so that they would understand it. So in trying to find that structure, what were some of the avenues you went down? Because, you know, when you're editing a doc, you have to find you have to try things, essentially. You have to experiment and see where the story is going to lead. So was there roads that you went down that you had to sort of retrace your steps, I guess? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) I can definitely say, like, I've never thrown away so much work in my life, like so much of my own work, so much of other people's work. It was definitely a lot of trial and error to get it right. I mean, we had full episodes that we thought were going to be about one particular area of cheerleading or some aspect 
And I mean, if you were to look at the first cut of any given episode versus where it ended up at the end, I mean, it's like a whole different series. (laughs) How much footage did you guys have if it's going to look so different? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of like the big thing with documentary editing is so much of it is writing. It's very different from, uh, you know, scripted work where you're kind of following a guideline, following the script. There's no limits with documentary like as an editor you're you're really sitting down and you're you're inventing something out of what seems like nothing but it's actually (laughs) like out of hours and hours of work of of, uh, footage you know and so we were filming the main run of our shoot was about three months and then post-production was about nine so it took a long time to kind of sift through and it's so much of it is like a process of elimination. You know, you're narrowing it down, kind of figuring out like what's important. There were so many small storylines, small moments that were, you know, it's like, is this important? Is this going to be useful? And it's hard to know until you kind of start putting it all together. So it's a very lengthy, challenging process. But, you know, luckily we were in a situation with the production company and with Netflix and everybody that everyone realized the potential that this project had. And so everyone was really dedicated to getting it right. A great deal of, of the work on both Last Chance You and Cheer, from my perspective, is a lot of sleuth work. You know, the way that we shoot these shows involve you know, multiple cameras, multiple mics on people, and to the point where even the people in the field, they have a monitor and they can kind of switch back and forth between different characters' audio feeds and make pertinent notes, but that is really only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what happens in a given day. So, you know, you're watching dailies over and over again until you start noticing little details or you catch wind of some sort of event or some undercurrent of what's going on. Then you're kind of digging back, maybe even into previous days and really going through all the audio with a fine tooth comb to kind of recreate what actually transpired. And then it's a matter of boiling it down and kind of putting it into a narrative form so the audience can follow it. I really like that aspect of it. I don't know if you do, Ariel, but it's kind of like, there's like a forensic scientific aspect, which is stimulating to it for me. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have both touched on the story. And whenever I've talked to doc editors or worked on projects, everyone has their own sort of approach to discovering that story. And so I'm wondering how you guys... You know, you, you sit down in front of your Avid or your Premiere Pro or what have you, and you've got a blank timeline. So how do you approach it? It sounds like, David, you put in a bunch of the shots and start to whittle it down. But is there is there sort of a focus or do you grab one scene or do you? Yeah. So with a, with a series this large, you know, with both Cheer and Last Chance You, it takes a lot of people to do this. You know, it, it's a real, true collaborative effort. And so, of course, we have like an incredible story team who they're watching everything and they're marking things. And so the storytelling really starts with them and their tastes, basically. You know, it's like, what are you noticing? What are you being drawn to? And then they'll put something together that's, you know, sometimes everyone's different. But, you know, a lot of times when you sit down as an editor, you're handed eight hours worth of material. And so it's like, you start with that <laughs> and then, you know, you'll definitely have to explore more and dig deeper and look through other raw footage as you're kind of coming up with ideas. But yeah, it's true collaboration. Yeah. I, I tend to prefer 
the having the interviews as early as possible. If you can have some character interviews after you've identified, you know, which characters you're going to be following, I kind of will create a timeline for each character and any, any interview we have of them, whether it's on the fly or like a formal sit down interview, I'll listen to those many times over and then even start kind of cutting them up and grouping them together according to whatever subject they're talking about, whether it's their relationship to the coach or their teammates or their own backstory. Because I find it's really helpful to have a sense of the character when you, even though we try to, to keep the talking heads to a minimum and make, you know, with both Last Chance You and Cheer, keep it kind of a verite driven show. You need to be able to sort of have a lens through which to understand the verite. And so once you have enough experience with the interviews and you've sort of internalized it, it gives you like a whole new perspective on the verite, just the way that the characters talk and maybe kind of casual asides or references they make that would normally just go right over your head. If you've listened to the interview, you can kind of have some sense of, of the weight that occupies in their life or the significance of it. And so it's really helpful to have the interviews. And then I kind of just pop around, you know, kind of just on until you hit a roadblock, then you hop somewhere else. And, and as Ariel was saying, a huge amount of it is getting together with the story team, the other editors and the director and all keeping on the same page about what you're discovering and what you're thinking and having that free flow of information and trying to fill in each other's. There's always holes. You're always only looking at one little piece of the puzzle. And so the communication is constant and paramount. Yeah, I'd say we came up with a lot of really good ideas over lunch with other editors and with story team. You guys touched on character. I want to know at what point did you realize how, I guess, big Jerry was going to be? in terms of his presence in the show, but also, you know, he sort of exploded as soon as the show came out, everyone fell in love with him. You know, like at what point were you like, this guy's got to go in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think right away. Know, none, yeah, <laughs> right away. Definitely. You know, none of us really expected the show to blow up in the way that it did. I mean, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, but that's not, you know, that wasn't totally on our radar as we were working, but, I know Chelsea Arnell, the producer working in the field, she discovered Jerry and, you know, it's like the way she described him to all of us. We were like, okay, yes, let's pursue this. And then, you know, of course, it's like anytime he's on camera, your heart just melts and you just have a smile on your face. And, you know, a lot of the instincts that people have about characters and about subjects and all of that stuff, it really translates if you do it right to how an audience responds to them. We lucked out with Jerry because he kind of is a very apt sort of summation of cheerleading. Like he represents the whole culture and spirit of it in such a neat and relatable way. And, and I think early on, we, were, we all realized that it was really useful and exciting to have what's essentially a cheerleader for cheerleaders. It, it gets you... <laughs> gives you an idea of, of how fervent and, uh, and passionate the sport is. Like, I would love to know how you approach, I guess, working with the footage of, uh, you know, someone like Jerry or someone like Lexi, because it part of the editing process is cutting stuff out. So how do you determine, you know, what parts of their personality to leave on the cutting room floor and what to put into it, especially when, you know, this is real people. It's not like a, a fiction where it's like, oh, yeah, this is I can mold it however I want. You have to sort of respect these people. Yeah. I mean, you, you've touched on something that's, you know, pretty much the golden rule of documentary filmmaking, which is 
these are real people and it's your job as a documentary filmmaker to make sure that you're doing right by them and that you're being honest and truthful and you're representing them in a way that is not only respectful, but also is just really tapping into the truth of this person. And so, I don't know, Dave, do you have more to say about that? Uh, well, I mean, well, I guess, sorry, (laughs) I think a lot of it ends up being reverse engineering, you know, like, um, you kind of figure out like, what do you mean? Like what a person's arc is, you know, because it is real. It is, you know, it is a documentary, but it still is going to have a story arc and especially across like a six episode series. And so you think about like, where does someone's story end up? And so it's like, if you use the example of Morgan, you know, she ends up making Matt. She has this incredible journey of, at first, she's not good enough. She's, she's not as experienced as the other girls. But by the end of the day, she's called upon to really step up to the plate in a way that she has never had to do before. And she does it. And she's incredible. And so it's like, you know, you look at like, that's the end of her story. You know, one part of the <laughs> one part of her multifaceted story. And so how do you make that story work and land and so what are the things that you decide to put in along the way to kind of feed like breadcrumbs you know you're leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for an audience so that when she's successful at Daytona and she's in the pyramid in the most challenging role that the audience gets the most uh, enthusiastic response to that because at the end of the day that is the truth (laughs) it is incredible and so it's your job to make sure that everyone understands why that's incredible. Yeah, Ariel touched on it earlier, but it's essentially, you know, you follow the same basic precepts of any sort of screenwriter. And there's also the same pitfalls where, you know, we kind of always have to learn this lesson again and again, but you fall in love with the character and you kind of want the audience to love and understand them as much as you do. And so you end up kind of at first front loading it with almost too much of the character (laughs) and then it's a process as Ariel points out of kind of okay it's more of shaping that information and then intertwining it with the other events and characters you're dealing with so it has the optimal storytelling power and that you're what you really do is revealing this character bit by bit as opposed to, to dumping it all out in the beginning so but it's always, you know, that's part of the process. When I was emailing with Julie yesterday, I, I mentioned that I, I was actually rewatching the last episode yesterday. I want to know, I guess, how that episode sort of came together. Particularly, I'm thinking about the moments at Daytona where it's all iPhone information and setting up the fact that they can't shoot and, and all this stuff. Like, it's such a tense scene and it's like a chunk of the, the episode. It's like the whole middle to last half of the episode. So I'm wondering how you guys approached that scene. We were um, really bogged down with the body of the series. So one through five, and we were, David and I, as the supervising editors, we were like pretty overwhelmed with the task that we had ahead of us. And so I think at that point we were like, we got to bring someone in. We had so much footage, like cell phone footage, some of it totally unusable. Some of it's in vertical instead of horizontal. And, you know, we just knew that it was going to be like just kind of a huge rat's nest to go through. And so we were like, we got to bring in someone like specifically to go through this stuff. And so we brought in Daniel McDonald. We'd worked with him on Last Chance U. And we kind of gave him this task. We're like, hey, disappear for a couple of weeks and like go through this and get us a rough cut of 
the cell phone footage, essentially, you know, you know, the Daytona stuff. So he did a really good job going through that with a first pass and created something that was really dramatic. And then, you know, by the time we caught up and got to episode six, we smoothed it out and kind of gave it the the polish and all of that. But yeah, it was definitely overwhelming to, you know, one of, one of the things that was surprising going through that stuff is, you know, you always think like, wow, well, the footage is going to look really bad and it's going to be shaky and all this stuff. But the bigger problem actually was the audio. You know, we didn't have good audio. And so that's something that kind of like goes by the wayside a lot of times, you know, people don't realize how important audio editing is. And so that became actually the bigger challenge. So it took finessing and massaging, you know, both in the edit. And then of course the sound mix session, they did an incredible job with that to like really bring it to life. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things you can kind of forget, especially when you're spending so much of the, of, of your time on a show like this, making everything sort of as beautiful as possible is that a huge portion of the audience, especially younger members of the audience, they have a higher threshold for that kind of raw amateur video. It constitutes a lot of their media diet at this point. So their ability to track events and details in that kind of, you know, to what can appear to be chaotic is pretty highly developed. And then, you know, at a certain point, maybe it's just because it was our only option, but we all got excited by the prospect of, you know, how exciting aesthetically it would be to go from sort of our polished professional perspective on the sport to this kind of like storming the beach at Normandy, uh, saving Private Ryan sort of approach to it. And it, it, it was a really happy sort of coincidence, I think. And I love that you guys left in, at one point, the director asks Varsity U about, are you worried about cell phones being used? And he's like, ah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like, from a legal point of view, we're safe. Now, the other part of that episode that really blew me away was when one of the guys gets hurt and the backup has to come in Mm -hmm. and learn what to do. Basically, mm-hmm. and he's going through the through the steps, and so I'm wondering how you approach ramping up the tension there. How did you approach the cut to get that so suspenseful? That's a good example of reverse engineering and the sleuth work that we were talking about earlier, because we realized at some point that Monica had always kind of made it this drumbeat of always being as prepared as possible and and trying to account for any sort of eventuality or crisis that might occur, and there was actually a practice where she kind of identified a problem and actually pointed out Alex Bluehaze, the guy who filled in that role at Daytona and trained him up for such an eventuality. So that was kind of a a reverse engineering thing where we realized like, oh, we should almost tee this up earlier in the series. So people have some sense of who Alex is and, and how this this whole event is really expressive of Monica's approach to the sport and her approach to coaching. So there was that sort of laying the track earlier in the series. And then in terms of the actual moment. Yeah, you know, I think some of it was luck that we happened to capture a few like very, very crucial sound bites that helped explain the situation. I remember one of them was as they were walking back to the practice area Lexi's asking Monica, like, well, what does this mean? Do we get to do it again? You know, that kind of stuff. And it was just like an act of God that we we happened to get that moment. And, you know, actually a lot of the footage that ended up making the cut, it's almost the entire clip, you know, like 
because the way people people film with their cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's filming continuously. We were given a lot of like 10 second clips, 20 second clips, you know, and so it's like so much of it actually is like, like we just played the entire clip out, you know, I mean, so it's it kind of has this really interesting effect where it's, it feels very raw and like you're just like living in the moment because it actually, it, you just are living in the moment. This is what happened. This is what we had. Was there a moment or a character that you guys had to cut out of the series that you wish you could have put in, but it wouldn't have served the story in a way that benefited the final delivery? Yeah, I think we, Ariel and I are both really interested in this character, CJ. I don't know how much he resonates with people in the in sort of the final form of the series. He's there in like key moments. I'm sure fans of the show would recognize his face and voice, but he was one of several cheerleaders that we kind of would have meetings with and, you know, conversations about having more footage of if, if there was going to be additional time scheduled for pickups to kind of flesh out some stories. But, you know, one of the issues was apart from in, in the last chance you series, you know, the first season of six episodes, but from then on, we had eight episodes to deal with. And I think we, we kind of got used to that sort of sized canvas. And as we were working on this, you know, we kind of had to remind ourselves that, we can't deal with as large of a, a scope in terms of the storytelling so that we were going to, you know, have to kind of whittle away some parts that we, that weren't maybe crucial to the story, but we thought were very interesting in terms of character or, or just the world building of it. And CJ was one of those characters. There's actually, I mean, there's a number of them that I would have loved to explore more. Ariel, do you have any sort of favorites? I think CJ is it, but yeah, I mean, there, there's no shortage of incredible stories um, amongst the Navarro cheerleaders. So yeah, it was, you know, once you realize like, ah, oh, we really just don't have the space to include this part. And it's like, you just got to let it go, but it's, it's yeah. painful, but you know. Now I, I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview and that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Uh, I, so just recently we both watched, the trilogy Back to the Future. Um, I think uh, particularly during this time when everything, you know, feels like the world's falling apart. It was really nice for me anyways, to just kind of watch something that was so well structured, really well organized, not going to let you down, you know, like the craftsmanship is just incredible. And so like, we just, you know, three nights in a row, just watched that. And it was like, it was incredibly satisfying. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good answer. I, I actually, I don't believe, I actually don't believe in guilty pleasures. Oh yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think if it's good, it's good and you shouldn't have any shame about it. Originally I was thinking, yeah, it's, you know, the film that you're embarrassed by, but now I sort of see it as like, it's Sunday afternoon, you're flipping the channels, you pass TBS or something and there's a a show, a movie that you would normally wouldn't watch, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to just continue watching this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just described my whole quarantine. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I don't know. We 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 have. I guess lately we've been watching a lot of obscure Adam Sandler movies. We've been yeah with the the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah, we we also we, watched we've, a lot we, of. Uh, we sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say we've been embracing uh, the whole guilty pleasure aesthetic. Yeah, um, we we watched. Cobra Kai, the series that was on YouTube. Um, I think while we were editing Cheer, 
and because that that one is kind of another example of like it delivered it was well structured well organized like just a good fun romp and you know i i don't know if that show has been well received but we really thoroughly enjoyed it yeah. i think it i think it has it's actually coming to netflix now for season three can't wait that was i mean but that's 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 kind of it's interesting because it was just a fun watch but at the same time we were watching it while we were editing too because it was really inspirational in terms of the formal aspects of it how the storytelling is handled and the overall arc of the of the series so we found it really instructive too you know well thank you guys for letting me interview hey yeah, our thank pleasure you so much for having us this is really cool thanks for having us on so that was my interview with Ariel and David. I'd like to thank the two of them for allowing me to interview them. I'd also like to thank Julie from Netflix for setting this up. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.